Shalom, everyone. Shalom. We are nearing the end of our long series of studies on the book of Ephesians. And today I'm going to be presenting the final message on the particular series that is within the whole series of Ephesians. And that is the series on spiritual warfare. And today's message is titled, Praying in the Spirit. Could you repeat after me? Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. So what does praying in the Spirit have to do with the context of spiritual warfare? Because Apostle Paul wrote this in that context. This is as much part of the whole understanding of spiritual warfare. And I believe that this is the essential part of spiritual warfare. So let us begin with verse 18 of chapter 6. And let us read all the way to verse 20. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always be keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. We've been talking about the reality of spiritual warfare. In verse 12, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We as Christians, if we truly believe in the orthodox truth that has been presented all throughout the history of the church, that we must believe, along with our faith in God, we must believe that there is Satan. Satan exists, and there are demonic hordes who are under Satan's influence and rule. We must also believe, according to Ephesians 6, we must believe that there are hierarchies in the demonics. So when Paul is talking about authorities and powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, He's talking about demonic forces in the high places having influence upon the whole cosmos, whole universe, and specifically upon this planet Earth and upon human societies and human structures. Now, as I mentioned last week or the week before, it is not so much that the structure itself is to be equated with demons. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, there was a, a movement in the theological circles where they basically demonized the structures. Because they saw so many structures that wasn't right. Human societies, human ways of operation, human thoughts and traditions. But what we're coming to understand is that it's not so much that the structures themselves are the problems. But it's the forces behind those structures that would use those structures to oppress people. Structures which would cause damage to the society. 
Now, having said that, if we're dealing with these personal beings, spiritual beings of mighty power and authority, then obviously we cannot operate in the weakness of our flesh to counter that. And so Paul says in verse 10, from the very start, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And he's been saying all throughout Ephesians that our power is not in our flesh. It is not in the human hands. Our power is in the Spirit of God. And that Spirit of God actually dwells inside of us. And that Spirit of God raises up with the resurrection power that we are actually seated in the heavenlies with Christ. So we have authority in Christ. We have the resource in Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. And God has also given us many, many tools and amazing tactics and amazing wisdom with which we can plentifully defeat our enemy. So Paul says repeatedly in chapter 6, take your stance. Stand, 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 and stand. Take your stance and declare the victory that you have in Christ. You already have one in Christ. You're in the state of victory in Christ. You're seated with Him in the higher places than all the demons. And so if we're to take stance, it's actually more of a defensive stance. If we're going to be on an offensive, then we must move forward and penetrate. But that's not what Paul is saying. Unless God is calling you to penetrate into the demonic strongholds and bring down the principalities and powers, as some Christian leaders are suggesting, unless you're particularly given that kind of authority, and I don't think that kind of authority is ever given to any individuals, apart from the whole body of Christ coming to an agreement, nationally speaking, internationally speaking, unless the whole body of Christ comes together, we do not have that kind of power, that kind of arsenal to bring down the strongholds from above. But what we can do is we can take our stance, defensive stance against the onslaught of the enemies. We can protect the realms that are given to us, like family, like school, like church, and the Christian organizations that God has granted unto us. The demons have no right to put their foot in and take their stance here. And therefore we can stand against that and we can resist that. You see, the enemy wants to deceive us and is intending to come and steal and destroy us. And so what do we need to do? What are the defensive weapons? Well, Paul describes that as the armor of God. And last week we studied specifically the armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandal fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation. Put this armor on. And I have said over and over that putting on the armor is, can be equated with simply putting on of Christ. Putting on all that is of Christ. Taking on the name of Christ. Relying upon the credit that was gained by Christ through His perfect life and perfect death on the cross. 
Put on the blood of Christ. Put on the righteousness of Christ. You and I, we cannot stand naked against the enemy. We must put on Christ. Christ has to come between us and Satan. And when Christ appears before Satan, with one word, Satan has to flee. But there was one offensive weapon that was given to us. And as we have studied last week, that also is a defensive weapon. But it does have an offensive thrust. And that is the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Word of God is defensive, but at the same time offensive. Because at the end of the day, with that Word, with that authoritative Word, we can say to Satan, get away or come out and be gone. And that's exactly the type of authority Jesus used against demons when he was doing deliverance ministry. Do you remember that? Do you remember how Jesus ousted the demons with single word? And he ousted the devil on three occasions during his 40 days of temptation. So the word of God, that is scripture, can be used in a defensive way, but also scripture backed word, rhema word, which is like sharp double-edged sword, can be utilized to attack the enemy. And we can do that. We have to pierce the enemy so that the enemy knows not to interfere with us, not to come and you know, continue to oppress us. We have to tell the enemy off. And we do have that authority. And this is where prayer comes in. Prayer can be that offensive weapon. We're not directly offending the devil. We're not directly offending the demons. But by our prayer, Spirit of God can offensively thrust into the heart and the territory of the enemy. And so our prayer should be, I would say, prophetic prayer. Our prayer should be like the words of the prophets. As they spoke, things began to happen. And we saw that, for example, prophets like Ezekiel will be prophesying. And then in his vision, he saw his prophetic words would cause dry bones to come together, flesh to be put on. And, and uh, he could call on the Spirit of God to come and bring these corpses into life. That kind of power is there when we speak forth the word of the Lord in a prophetic way. Likewise, when we pray prophetically, there's power. So I want to talk about this prophetic way of praying, which Paul says in verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He says, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And for that matter, what does it mean to do anything in the Spirit? Well, Paul has a tendency to focus on the concept of in the Spirit or according to the Spirit, countering the way in the flesh or according to the flesh. But Paul is not talking about some kind of uh, dualism. He's not talking about spirit, body, dualism. When he's saying in the flesh, he's talking about both our body and mind. When we are oriented against the things of God and 
as we continue to insist upon the human-centered way, that is the way of the flesh. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because some people think that flesh simply means body, so anything that has to do with the body, that is sinful before the sight of the Lord. It's not. The body and the mind and the soul, we are integrated as one. We call ourselves embodied self, and that embodied self, what we do with that, is either going to be in the spirit or in the flesh. And anything that is in the flesh counters that way of the spirit. And so Paul says, pray in the spirit. That is pray in the God-oriented way. In the manner that is led by the spirit. So that you don't just continue to pump your fleshly power. And pump your fleshly inspirations. No, it has to be submitted to the spirit of God. It has to be oriented towards God. So praying in the Spirit means relying on the Spirit to assist us so that we may have the strength, wisdom, even the words of articulation and the prophetic authority with which we can speak forth the word of the Lord as we pray. In Romans 8.26-27, Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Are you able to identify these words of Paul? Anytime I get to this section and I read this, I, I think I could really identify because there are times I find myself in such a a state of weakness. My flesh, my, my, my state of mind, my body is worn down. I could barely pray. I could barely read the Bible. I could barely think straight. Thank God. There are times like that. And then when you really get down to pray, you don't even know how to pray. Your words just don't come out. You know? And it's at a time like that we could only groan and moan in sort of like agitation state, some kind of frustrated uh, angst. But we express ourselves, but we don't know what we're doing. We go, and Paul says, the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, he would interpret that unto the Lord. So our prayers don't have to be eloquent. Our prayers don't even have to be grammatically correct. It doesn't have to be certain rhetorical style. No, it has to do with the genuineness of our heart. And as long as we're directing it to the Lord, the Spirit of God will translate all that in the language that God clearly understands. But what I want to say is this, that when we're praying in the Spirit, there are some misunderstandings that we have, and I want to point out what they are. And one of the misunderstandings is this. Some people think praying in the Spirit means that somehow the Spirit is going to pray instead of us. And they turn to texts like what we just read and say, look at this. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It's as though Spirit is groaning and moaning. But if you look at the context 
and you look at all the other contexts of Paul's writings about prayer, you know that that's not what he's talking about. The groaning comes from us. Have you ever heard the groaning of the Spirit? What does that sound like? How does God groan and moan? No, the groaning comes from us. The moaning comes from us. But it's the Spirit of God who takes that and makes it into an applicable prayer. That's what this is talking about. So when we're praying in the Spirit, it is our human spirits praying. But it is assisted by God's Spirit. And that is the way we pray in the Spirit. Let me give you another text that uh, may help us to see this clearly. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 13 to 15. Paul says, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what should I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So you see here, it's very clearly that even when Paul is saying that we are speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, in the language that we do not understand, this is the language of our spirit. It's our spirit, our inner will of spirit that is articulating these words. And it is the Spirit of God who inspires us so that we can speak with our spirits. Now having said that, praying in the Spirit is not necessarily equivalent to praying in tongues. Some people think praying in the Spirit simply means praying in tongues. So if I'm praying in tongues, unknown language, and not everybody prays in tongues, and so certain sectors of Christians, those who are Praying in, in the Spirit, they are the ones who are praying in tongues. And rest of those who do not pray in tongues, they don't know how to pray in the Spirit. Is that what Paul is saying? No. Praying in tongues may be a form of praying in the Spirit. But there are many, many expressions by which we can pray in the Spirit besides tongues. By the way, I know sometimes people pray in tongues and I don't think that is in the spirit. It may be simply fleshly, psychological expressions. It's not in the spirit. So when we are praying in tongues, we have to make sure that our tongues prayer is not just an automatic mumbo jumbo. But it has to also be submitted to the spirit and inspired by the spirit so it is aligned accordingly to God. Paul says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I think this is so important. All kinds of prayers and requests. On all occasions. This clearly shows us that Paul is talking about some kind of repertoire of prayer. Now how many types of prayers do people generally know in the body of Christ? You know, Koreans seem to know you know, basically one type of prayer. And that's a crying out type of prayer. We call it tongsum gido. Sort of cathartic release type of prayer. 
It seems like a lot of Koreans, the older generation Koreans, that's the only type of prayer they're familiar with. An hour or so of that kind of prayer. Every, everywhere we go, in a private setting, you know, we don't really need to be that vocal. So that gets quenched, and that can get quenched very easily when people fall into depression. You cannot possibly cry out. That's the whole thing about depression. You fall into your own pit. You fall into your little black hole, and you can't come out of that. So if we're trying to get people who are in depression to say, do you think that's going to work? It's not going to work. But if that's the only type of prayer they know, then Satan knows how to quench that. On the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, is this kind of a quiet, uh, meditative, contemplative type of prayer, where they just go, silent, just let go. Just be silent. Just learn to center on the Lord. No words, no expressions, nothing. Just, you know, a trickle of a word or two. I love you, Lord. Just meditate on that. I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Some people call that Jesus prayer because the Eastern Orthodox prayer warriors, they were known for Jesus type of prayer, single words attributed to God. Well, Satan also knows that if that is what they're accustomed to, he can quench that. And then when that gets quenched, what would be the appropriate type of way of praying to come out of that kind of state of sort of like apathy? Like kind of like passivity. Well, then we have to do the reverse, like the Korean type of prayer. And we need to come out of that state of apathy. And then, of course, in between are all these conversational type of prayers, which I prefer. I prefer the conversation type of prayer. Talk to the Lord in the normal tone as I would talk to my wife or anybody. Talk in that way, in a conversational way. The other types of prayers, like listening prayers, learning how to listen. The prayers that may be prophetic type of prayer, that you see, receive, you're very sensitive to receive the inspiration before you articulate those words. But Paul is saying, utilize all kinds of prayers, whether it be crying out, conversation, contemplative, prophetic, whether you're sitting down to pray, whether you're walking around praying, whether you're engaged in spiritual warfare type of prayer. I used to do that. I used to be animated in my prayer. Utilize my body as a sort of synchronized move to back that up. Pray early in the morning. Pray all night visual. Pray fasting for many days. Go into your little private Closet to pray, get into a cell or go into a cave to pray, go up to the mountain to pray, kneel down to pray, prostrate yourself to pray, stand up, walk, do whatever. But if you have certain set, like I got to pray like this, you're missing out on so many diverse ways, vast ways you can pray and you can articulate yourself. Through prayer, we can show adoration, we can show worship, we can confess our sins, 
We can give thanks to the Lord. We can petition things unto the Lord. We can intercede on behalf of others. So when people ask me, how should we pray? I say, you should pray in the way that you're able, not in the way you're not able. Don't make it impossible for yourself. You're not able to pray that way. Don't get caught up in this notion that I have to pray that way, but I can't. Well, then pray the way you can in your situation. I'm so depressed, I don't feel like I'm praying. I can pray. There was a season in my life when I was in deep depression for something like three months. I couldn't pray. Only thing I could do was literally just groan and mourn. And maybe if there was a prayer word, I could only say one word. And then God gave me one word. He says, call me Abba. And I started this so-called Abba prayer. Abba. 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 I prayed like that for hours. I had the best prayer than ever before. You see, you can pray in all circumstances, whatever the circumstances. It is never impossible for you to pray as long as you're open-minded to, to the diversity and the variety of prayer. But if you set yourself up to pray in certain type and this has to be done this way or it's not prayer at all, then you have completely missed out. And Satan will use that against you to quench your prayer life. There are some people who think that they have to pray always, you know, in the church. Or they have to be praying in, in some kind of a prayer center. No, not at all. We should be freely roaming around in nature, out in the street, the business of life. Even in a meeting place, prayerfully listen, prayerfully participate in the meeting. Because Paul did say, pray ceaselessly. Do you remember that? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray ceaselessly. That is possible. If you can be a little bit open-minded and creative about the way you pray. I personally have experimented with all types of prayers. In my 38 years of Christian life. So I have a lot of experience. And I try anything. If someone says, this is a way you can try articulating yourself in prayer, I'll do that. I'll go right and do that. So after learning all these varieties, ways of prayer, I'm realizing, hey, Satan can keep me bound. If he ties my hands, then I'll use my feet. I'll kick him. Okay? If he ties my feet and ties my hand back, then I'll butt him with my head. You know? If he holds my head straight and he comes and tries to quench my spirit, then I'll bite him. Whatever that you have, that is your capability, unless you're 100% demon-possessed, you can utilize that as a way of praying. Can I hear a big amen to that? Amen. And then in verse 18, B, Paul says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. With this in mind, be alert, he says. Very similar to what Jesus said. Stay awake and pray. 
Prayer means staying awake, not falling asleep. There are some people who have this notion like deep prayer is kind of entering into sort of like out-of-body experience, entering into some kind of ecstatic trance. That is completely false. That is the most dangerous thing you can do, losing your mind while you're praying. You have to keep your mind sound because your mind has to discern your thoughts. And whatever idea, whatever revelation that you may be receiving, you don't know the source. So your mind has to be alert. But you turn your mind off and you enter into some kind of ecstasy. How do you know that will be the Spirit of God leading you? Very, very dangerous. So that's why Jesus always says, stay awake. Pray so that you will not fall into temptation. We must stay awake. That's rule number one in prayer. Secondly, always keep on praying. Perseverance in prayer, that's important. Jesus gave two particular parables about perseverance. Parable of the friend who came at the midnight and parable of the persistent widow making her appeal before an unjust judge. And at the end of that, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. There's a transition from just simply asking, asking, seeking, and knocking. He's talking about perseverance, not giving up in prayer. So that's the second rule in prayer. Don't give up so easily. People try and say, I I pray, but there was no response. I prayed and nothing came through. And so they give up so easily. When the whole idea about praying is continually, continually persevering. Remember the prayer of of, uh, Ezekiel. I love this. I was wondering what this was that I purchased in, I think it was in Indonesia. You see this little figure here? It's actually a human figure of a man who is like in anguish, sticking his head between his knees with his hands clasped, you know, over his head. This is the figure of Elijah. This is Elijah praying and persevering that the Lord would answer his prayer so that he would pour out the rain. Do you remember that? He had to persevere and wait until that that some kind of cloud formation would be in the air. He had to have the sign. And he prayed and he persevered. I love this. And that's why I keep this right here, beside my uh, chair here. So, let's remember to stay awake and we persevere in our prayer. And then finally, Paul says, for all the Lord's people. Pray intercessory prayer. I know the prayers in general in the world have to do with petitioner type of prayer. It's always petitional. But what kind of prayer is the most generous type of prayer? Most agape way of praying is praying for others. Praying for others, not just praying for yourself. Because praying for yourself is essential, but it could get self-cloistered. And we need to express our prayers outwardly unto others. So pray for others. Pray for the nations. Pray for the greater body of Christ. Pray for what's happening in in this present situation. Pray. And pray intercessionally. 
Once again, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And right before that, he says, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Everything's all, all, all. Utilize all that is in the arsenal of prayer. Be always alert. Always persevere. And pray for all God's people. Then finally, in verses 19 and 20, Paul says, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul is requesting that the church of Ephesus and the churches in Asia Minor in general, because this is a circular letter, it will be shared with all these churches and he's requesting that they will pray for him so that he may be fearless in declaring the gospel. Remember, Paul, he's a prisoner of Rome. And he considers himself now an ambassador in chain. And yet, the amazing thing about Paul is he's not requesting that he be released from his chain. Usually, for any of us, if we ever get in prison or find ourselves in a deep pit somewhere, we'll be requesting to the rest of the body of Christ, pray that I may be delivered. Pray that I may be set free. But Paul didn't pray like that. That's not the important thing. His health is not the important thing. His life is not the important thing. His priority was the gospel. So he requests that in his present situation, as a prisoner of Rome, that he may boldly declare the mystery of the gospel. And the gospel is a mystery. Because people don't understand that as a revelation yet. So the mystery of the gospel about Jesus Christ and how Jesus came to unify everybody, to bring reconciliation between God and humanity, to incorporate us into the body of Christ, all those messages, he says, let me proclaim them, even to death, even in chains, even in suffering and pain. But give me two things that I may operate with, and that is boldness and clarity. You see, the gospel needs to be proclaimed with boldness and clarity. For that matter, anytime we stand to preach the word of God or teach the word of God or even counsel others, we may speak boldly and clearly. And we need a lot of wisdom and grace for that. How this is true for all of us not just preachers like me and other preachers in our midst, but we're talking about every single Christian. We must receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to boldly declare the gospel to others. Clarify the word of God for the sake of others. And we need to do that in the midst of our chains, in the midst of our sufferings in the midst of our uncomfortable situations. And Paul knew that this was the only way that the gospel of Jesus Christ would penetrate into the hearts of the people, 
go deeper, deeper into the society, heart of the society, and transform the society for the sake of the kingdom of God. And he knew that this was a warfare. He knew that he was preaching as though he was in a warfare. How many of you sense that when you're speaking the word of God, you feel like there's this warfare? You know, when you're speaking to a bunch of people, not like our comfortable place where all the loving people, lovely people who are rooting for you, yes, preach the word. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, praise the Lord. Not that kind of environment, but hostile environment. You know, they're just, you know, retorting and, and they're throwing sarcastic remarks and they may even be throwing some trash at you. And would you be able to do that? You know, the, I, I don't have much experience in that, but in the olden days, I did, I did exactly that. It didn't matter where I was. I, I would be teaching people in the subway, out in the street, in the ballet studio. That was my top priority. Yeah. And through Sarah, of course, we, we all become, became challenged. You know, you could actually go out into the street to the hostile crowd and you can proclaim the gospel. Paul, he's in chains. He's got a Roman guard right next to him. He's got a hostile society that is persecuting Christians. And yet he's saying, so that I may boldly proclaim to my prison guards. And if, I, if it be that I come standing before Nero to make my presentation, then let me boldly make my appeal to Nero. He's asking that he proclaim the gospel with boldness and clarity. For the sake of of bringing salvation to the people and ushering in the kingdom of God in his present situation. Amen? So I know this is a, a very short text, but there's so much in this. I've always appreciated this, this text because of the extreme expression here. Let me read it for you again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And we got so much that we need to Appreciate from Paul and be motivated by Paul's example as a man of prayer, man of warfare, man who knew how to take his stance because he was so confident of Christ who is covering him, who is protecting him, who is going to empower him by the Holy Spirit. So let us uh, throughout this week Let's be mindful of these words of Paul and let us apply them too in our prayer life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.